I think long-term goal is how do you enable brands to almost like set up, manage their entire, uh, you know, distributed storefronts, uh, almost like a, think of it as a headless CMS with kind of like a Zapier and Canva kind of plugged into it. So it's like a content tool and a Zapier and a Canva. That's how we think uh, long-term. Automating and streamlining your store will be key to scaling your business. What we talk about today with my guest Kasami Manjita is how Mason is designed to dramatically save time and make things more accessible across not one, but multiple tools you're already using. Whether it's sales, arranging bestsellers, updates, inventory, Mason is designed to provide a no-headache system to handle all this. On a more zoomed-out view, we then discuss the future of the no-code movement and its goal to take programming to a new, more accessible level, something a creative mind like myself I'm looking forward to. I mean, I still count with my fingers, so if anybody else is in the no-code movement, feel free to get in touch. Kasambi Manjita. It is good to have you here in Ecomotics. How are you doing today? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling really pumped up and really excited to finally be talking. We've, we've sort of had this whole dance going on. Like, when when will we? But here we are. I've had more uh, intricate tangos. Um, yeah, we, we did have to reschedule it once, but we've had other people that we've had to reschedule three times. And one, one person we're still like chasing after. Uh, so it's, it's, it's going to be impossible not to want to talk about that when we do finally have our, our recording. Like, so uh, all of those emergencies and like, like he's, he was in Texas, by the way, and Texas got hit with ah. a snowstorm. And so of all the things that I wasn't expecting to be an obstruction, Texas getting flooded, like blizzarded out wasn't one of them anyways it's uh it's great to have you here um i'm excited to learn about uh what you have to offer um it's we we noticed as we were discussing that there's a lot of commonalities between what you know uh, what the beautify does and and what you do so that takes me to my opening question tell us what it is you do what are you up to these days so uh, it's been a little more over a year, I think, a uh, year and a half to be exact. And uh, yeah, it's been super exciting because uh, when we started thinking about Mason and this whole, I mean, we spoke about it, like uh, you call yourself a no-code evangelist cause and why. And I think one of the primary reasons is that for me, it was always that if you have to set up a store online uh, earlier, and I've worked in the whole world where supply chain was like an OMS and a WMS and all of that stuff, uh, which was so hard and it was so hard to be online. And then Shopify came and changed everything, right? Um, and, and it's so much easier to set up your store your store backend and all of that online. But, and you see that in Debutify too, right? It's getting harder and harder to set up experiences online. How do you really scale, manage, you know, do all the changes on a day-to-day, really be that business that is, uh, has a one-on-one connect with your customers. And I think that was our, that was my question. And over this last one and a half years, um, the second question was also like, will people really care about something like that? Like, do they know that's a problem, right? Uh, 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 do they realize that if you don't stand out as a brand, if you don't have a one-on-one connect, and uh, if you don't have access to technology, you're not an Amazon. You're converting at a 2% or a 3%, and Amazon's converting at 14 right? Mm-hmm. That's because of the lack of access technology right and um, if we do bring you technology would you love it and uh, i think the that's uh, the last one and a half years has been very exciting uh, what we have been up to at mason is how do you enable i think long term goal is how do you enable brands to almost like set up manage their entire uh, you know uh, distributed store friends uh, almost like a think of it 
as a headless CMS with kind of like a Zapier and Canva kind of plugged into it. So it's like a content pool in a Zapier and a Canva. That's how we think uh, long-term we would be. But right now, what we help is with specific use cases. And one of them is how do you automate your store updates, right? Like your inventory, mm -hmm. pricing, uh, new products that are being launched. It's so hard for you to constantly be on top of everything and make sure that it's getting launched and updated. Uh, so we make it easy with no-code automation. So it's users get a bunch of playbooks. They can, you know, uh, click and choose uh, based on their needs. It could be a sale that they're running. It could be a set of new products that they're launching. And all the updates keep happening without them having to really do it manually one by one, right? So, yeah, so that's, it's been exciting. Uh, great here. I have to say that <laughs> there there are certain episodes I'm glad I, I didn't record when I was just starting out and I was only just beginning to learn about e-commerce. Um, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, I've been able to graduate from 101 and I, and I feel I'm now in, in the 102 class. Um, but describing some of the other uh, pieces of software especially stuck out to me because a lot of these other softwares are all working maybe unintentionally together to try to uh, provide the the ideal experience not just for the for the customer but also for the seller. So you mentioned Zapier, which is an automation software. You mentioned Canva, which is a design software. All all these services are all looking to. It's not that they're looking to make things easier so that you know the the, the labor goes down. But what I did notice is that it helps to redirect the labor so that people mm. are using their precious and vital energy to focus on what it is they need to focus on. Whether and then a lot of that ends up tying in, into marketing. So what we plan to do. And for those of you who you know are are, are dedicated audio listeners, uh, <laughs> we're going to we're, we're doing a screen share today. We don't do it every episode, but we're doing it this time. Uh, so so we're going to get into that because uh, I really it, this being you know a largely a, a visual um, a service, but but you know there's there's back into it too. It, it's something that I'm looking forward to because it's something that I I, I want to understand to that level of intuition. But before that. What stuck out to me was you were describing the difficulty of writing a store before Shopify opened up the market mm. and, and made things mm. more accessible. And, and I, I actually would like to hear um, a little bit more about your, your experience in that, because uh, mm. what I was wondering about was, A, you know, the ability to actually run a store that people uh, can transact on. But I think the even more significant concern was trust whether people actually found that this online store was even a legitimate operation. Uh, and, and there's something about having a, a large uh, you know, company like Shopify legitimizing the, the idea of transacting online. Yeah, I think that's a very, very interesting perspective to it, right? And I remember my sister, my elder sister, she um, at one point uh, was like really excited. I want to run a jewelry subscription thing, right? And this I'm talking about the early Facebook days. So she had like a Facebook page and uh, she was living in Shanghai at that point in time. So amazing, you know, all that, all that you know, great stuff that you get from Korea and China and everything all, all coming together in Shanghai. She would collect like great jewelry pieces, subscription, you know, there she is, boom, on Facebook. It just wouldn't convert because uh, in the early days of Facebook, like uh, people are not necessarily sure one that, yes, you are a Facebook page. I like, I'm like liking and loving and com commenting on everything, but uh, you know, the, checkout process is painful, was painful. Uh, everybody wouldn't have a PayPal or something of that sort. And, um, and how do I trust, like, how can I track that that subscription is coming to me? Like that bag of goodies is coming mm -hmm. to me. Like you need to have the tracking page. 
right? Um, where are your customer reviews? Like I, I bought something from her and I remember her making a big splash page about, like post about it, right? But uh, because it was so important, all of these things that we just take for granted in e-commerce, it's actually so many different things, right? Um, it's, it's not just that list page, it's actually your entire unit, like all the things behind it. It's your shopping, shipping and fulfillment. It's your uh, social proofing. All of that have to come together. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say that I, I'll just put something on Craigslist and it will sell. Yes, it does, but it's not going to scale, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that was the problem in the early days, right? It was not impossible to still have your own website, but there's a lot of things around it, which makes it look professional with Shopify, something like a Shopify simplifies because it's all packaged together. Your order success emails, right? Your tracking pages, all of that. It just makes it legitimizes things quite a bit. I do mm -hmm. agree. I still have like a, a definitely a bunch of questions and I feel like none of them are really worth asking until we've had, we have a look at, <laughs> uh, at, at Mason. So uh, I've given you screencher uh, permission. So uh, yep. take it away. So what I'm going to share is our app on the Shopify app store. Mason's like a whole platform. There's a bunch you can do. The Shopify app store uh, app is, uh, is simple. And then I'll get started with that. Um, so, you know, it's called mode magic when you buy Mason and when you install it on your app store, this is something that you would land in with. And uh, as I said, like there are these different components, right? There's the Zapier and then the Canva, right? Uh, so uh, let's, let's talk about the use case before we go into the Zapier and the Canva. Like, so when you have a store, one of the most, I would say, annoying things that you have to do as, as a, as a uh, you know, uh, as a store owner, as a brand owner, and as uh, the team grows, as an e-commerce manager, et cetera, is there are these hundreds of different reasons that I need to call out on my products, like on my, on my different uh, products. And the simple things are around inventory, uh, which is your, it's running low on stock or it's back in stock or it's fresh new. These are all, uh, you know, things that you do on a very regular basis, as you can see on the left side, these are all your inventory sort of playbooks, right? And you do that on a day to day. Then you have your sale kind of playbooks, which are like, Hey, this is on sale. I, this is on discount. And I want to run my sale only from fifth to seventh and, and not beyond, right? So there's all this sale price kind of call outs and, and uh, updates that you do. Um, and the third interesting set is actually how almost like you can call it customer behavior, how users, other shoppers, in a way, sneakily putting it, I would say social proof, right? What are the best sellers? What are the top trending products? What are hot sellers? All of that, right? So there's this bunch of like different things that you need to do. And if you talk to an average, uh, you know, e-commerce team, they would say that, hey, all of these are different, you know, scripts or teams, either an operator or a custom automation script that's running in my store, trying to do one or more of these. Right. And imagine the pain of actually having to manage so many different automation scripts and manage so many different people to do these different things. And then the more interesting problem over there is how do I keep finding these new use cases? Because, for example, if you can see over here, if I if a new product, I'm uploading a new set of products, I want to mark them as coming soon. But when I inward my inventory, I want to mark them as new arrivals, right? That's a playbook, right? That's a custom journey. How do I even mm. set that sort of a journey, right? So these are right now really problematic and painful for teams because you have, these are all like 
almost fragmented different scripts and people that you have to use. What with Mason, our goal is that, hey, you don't have to, one, of course, there's automation and all of that. But even before that, this is your, almost like your, uh, uh, you know, GitHub for all these different um, uh, uh, plays and uh, journeys that you need to implement in your store. And as we keep hearing more interesting use cases and journeys from teams, we keep expanding. So it's almost like your library of like expert advice. Like these are the top things that you need in your store, right? And then we went and made it even simpler. So you don't just discover it, but you can literally in one click actually start using that, right? So you can say like, hey, any products in the last seven days that was marked, that is, uh, you know, it has zero inventory, you know, mark them as coming soon, but I also want to call coming soon in a different way. I want to call it out like this, right? So here, that's where, uh, you know, you start, you have your playbooks, but you now it's also editable, but it's one click. It, you don't need a developer. You don't need an expert. You don't need a design uh, a designer to come together and tell you what to do or how to make it look. You can choose, uh, you know, very Canva-like interface coming over here. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can say that I want it large, small, whatever. And then on the other hand, a very Zapier-like simple, uh, you know, interface on your uh, left, which just helps you choose the criteria around which you want to run that automation. So it's design and on Canva, which is Canva-ish sort of designs. And then you have your entire Zapier sort of automation and your store because all these products are literally from your store, right? So this actually, Mason, runs through your store, your inventory, your pricing, and it keeps looking. And every time it meets the criteria, it'll just make sure it's always marked as coming soon or few left or whatever it is that you have. So it's all connected, it's all together, and it's so simple. And it's so simple to run your um, everyday business with something of this sort. Great. So what? If, so if I'm understanding this uh, correctly, so I'm um, managing my product inventory on on, on Shopify. Uh, that's where I have to do it. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, my these automations here are set up to um, identify who's going to go where. So if I yeah. change the the inventory to, to zero, and then the 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 you know the the out of stock or the coming soon recognizes that and says, okay, yeah. now I'm going to automatically place this badge onto it rather than yep. you have to go in and manually set yep. all of these yourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, now, now, now somebody who maybe, you know, they're selling two products in their whole, whole store, you know, they'll, they'll feel inclined to, to handle that on their own, but you have yep. to think what happens when you start scaling uh, your, your inventory. The next Absolutely. thing you know, you have hundreds of products, right? In, in the, as you mentioned, you know, jewelry or in, the, or in the fashion niche. And this this is the kind of thing that can save a person a day's worth of work if they're, you know, if, if uh, rather than having to deal with that manually, they just have that all, all automated through. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great point because actually what we have seen is that a typical store would probably, um, a store that's uh, anywhere between a 2 million to a 30 million GMB would actually be saving 40 hours a week because this is actually a lot of work. It's not just one play, right? It's not just mm -hmm. your inventory, but it's also your sale. You're running your discounts, right? Um, it's also your, uh, you know, what are my best sellers and my trending products? So it's inventory is just one part of the problem. It's your inventory, your price, your top sellers, 
your new arrival. So it's all of those different plays. So it's literally, uh, we've seen now over this last year that it saves about 40 hours a week. And uh, for, a, for a very average store, it would save about 200K a year, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of things that you're talking about. But to also add on, there's, I mean, automation's there, but there's also the manual part of it. So mm-hmm. for teams who don't, uh, uh, not yet ready for automation, they can literally also do it manually. Again, the store is completely connected. So you can find whatever products you, uh, you know, have in your catalog, you can do what you, um, you know, to eat it to the entire product on the different parts of your store, all of that, right? So there's also the manual. And now we're expanding out to different use cases. So of course, like these were product callouts and highlights were the initial, uh, you know, set of things that you could do. But uh, now we're also expanding out into different use cases that you can do. How tos and product guides are another big driver in your uh, product details pages. So typically, it helps you convert so much faster from product details to add to cart. If instead of reading through miles and miles of what this product is about, you can quickly see like it's, it has, you know, a GMO free and use it, you know, apply. Uh, if it's a beauty product, it's like step one, two, three, use it this way. Right. These are the ingredients, et cetera. So we're seeing uh, great uh, love on this uh, new set of uh, features too. So uh, hopefully as we go along, we'll keep expanding out into more important things that help you convert better in your store. Right. And and, and I think too, that a niche uh, like in, like like beauty products, you, you wouldn't want the the interface or the or the user experience to come across as you know cold and indifferent. Um, the idea of actually adding in your aesthetics, adding in your color choices, add, allowing more of your brand to participate in in the promotion process, in the story selling yeah. process, in the in the guide process, which yeah. is. I mean, it's helpful, it's utility in nature, but it is also part of the the marketing to indicate this is how it's used. This is, we understand how this works. You know, we've, we're not just going to give this to you and, you know, uh, let you figure it out on your own. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We've seen, uh, you know, stuff like this actually, uh, you know, in our case studies convert, uh, do better conversions in your product details page, uh, amp it up by 30 basis points, which will have, mm-hmm. like increasing it by 30%. So definitely helps. I wanted to ask about the, the bestseller automation um, in particular. Mm-hmm. So how am I, how do I set the parameters for that? Is it that I just say, whatever are my five best selling products, they automatically get the best seller badge? Yeah, no, it can be per category. Um, so in, in each of my categories uh, in in my store, the top three or top five or top seven, like, you know, products um, um, can be marked as bestseller. So you can choose the category, you can say it all time, or you can say it uh, within the last 30 days. So the three basic criteria is either it's all products or category-based products, uh, how many of the top products, and in what time range am I looking at? Mm-hmm. And then if I wanted to go maybe into more uh, specific collections, so just for instance, I imagine like a, a home living store, uh, they might yeah. have, uh, they might separate it by room, you know, living room, bedroom, washroom. Yes. And yes. so I would, maybe I would want to say, what are my best sellers within washrooms, but I don't yeah. want that to be affected by the what's performing in, in the bedroom or in the living room space. Yep, 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 absolutely. So that's what categories and collections. So you can choose it either by uh, narrow it by category or collection. And then uh, one, one other one that stuck, uh, stuck out to me, uh, this is more like a confirmation question, but in, with badges, because uh, you you know mm-hmm. you mentioned uh, Canva and a lot of that I can see coming through in the, uh, in the aesthetic choices, but um, are people able to design their own uh, badges as well, upload them. So they want to, if they're very particular yes. about their theme or their niche. Yes, yes, yes. So a couple of things over there. Uh, there is a make a badge uh, feature, which basically means that you can, uh, and maybe I'll just share my screen as I uh, go along and explain that. 
So there are all these, you know, basic, all the possible uh, shapes that you typically use in a badge. So we have all of that. You can select uh, what you need. You can create your own, or you can upload uh, some of the teams which are a little bigger. The plus teams, for example, they usually have an in-house designer who's probably used a Figma or a Canva to design a suite of all the tags, uh, but they don't want to, uh, you know, do all these uh, ad hoc single script automation. So they, we've seen them actually use upload a badge and then they sort of, you know, consolidate or work with a design partner to have their tags and their badges, and then they they can just upload it over here, and they're good to go. And 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 I think it's worth pointing out too that you know these uh, these templates aren't picked at random too. These are, as you say, yeah. these are based off what people tend to commonly use. So even yeah. if I were to look through that and I would say, oh, okay, you know which one that I like? I like the one that looks like those um those seal of approval stickers that they used to put on Nintendo games uh, with the you know with the these triangles playing. Yeah, yeah, that one. That that one sticks <laughs> up to me though. So even just looking at that, it 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 it's it, you know it can spark a creativity in my own mind. I wouldn't even need to draw that right. That, that's what I drawn for me. So that's kind of a yeah. time-saving method. I mean, I can download it, uh, put it onto uh, Photoshop or GIMP, um, maybe do my own uh, specific texture, upload it back up, and I'm, and I'm good to go. You've mentioned, uh, you know, case studies and things that you've noticed so far, and I always want to give an opportunity to maybe highlight a case study or two. Client mm-hmm. confidentiality in full effect, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, I'd love to hear a story or two about you know some of the um, sellers, some of the users of your of your, of your software that uh, really made an impact. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, a couple of things when when you're asking that, two things like pop up <laughs> in my head. Yeah. The first one is I was really so I've worked in e-commerce in some way or the other, as I mentioned for quite a while now, and uh, uh, and I've seen how if you add more visuals to your product details pages, so if you, and you see that in Amazon, right? Nowadays, if you notice, it's all about all your uh, customer reviews, all your, uh, you know, product uh, uh, details on the USPs about your product, like 100% got and everything, all of that amped up and pulled out into your carousal of images rather than you, you in an Amazon page, you hardly have to go and read everything, right? They've really optimized based on each category. And um, and and when I was working in, uh, in the Walmart subsidiary before I started uh, uh, doing my own thing, uh, at that point, we did notice that, hey, when you kind of amp up all of that it, it improves conversions xyz basis points and all of those uh, you know good stuff uh, but seeing that impact with uh, you know a store which has found product like it's a brand it's an upcoming brand in north america it's found product market fit they're doing upwards of 10 million in gmv already and seeing that improvement on their app to carts before and after <laughs> was such a high because it's like you know you you do you do you see all these things when you're working in a large MNC and you are doing all the stuff that you're doing. But when when uh, you see someone who's at a ten and it can actually become a twelve or a fifteen or a thirty because of some of the things that you're doing with them, I think that that that's a different kind of high. So we didn't see uplift of thirty five percent add to carts um, on their product details page to add to cart because of. Um, 
They're really using a lot of the guides and the how-tos um, and also using multiple badges on a single product. So not just like calling out 10% discount, but saying it's GMO, um, vegan, and single origin, I think, something of that sort. Yeah, so all, all that good sustainable stuff, right? So it, it was great. So that's one case study that definitely stands out in my head. Um, uh, the second was in terms of more productivity uplift uh, and, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, interesting uh, place where in fact, just two days back, I was chatting with that team on support and they'd come over the weekend and I, and I love taking up support chats. It's very important for founders to stay very close to what is really happening with the teams, with the users who are using it. And we, me and my co-founder, we'd like make sure we take up every possible support chat given our uh, time constraints. And uh, in fact, he was mentioning, he was like, you know, I was just so worried. Uh, uh, the founder was uh, on the other side was mentioning, I was so worried about using so many different custom automation scripts because I use Photoshop and I have some of these designs, but I didn't want to maintain, you know, uh, ungainly uh, custom automation scripts to do all of these um, for the next, I don't know. And when I scale my business, I, those scripts won't, won't scale with it, right? They won't uh, do anymore. And I'll have to redo everything. If my UI changes, I have to redo everything. There's so much of all of that. And something like this has just taken away that stress away from me because I don't have to worry about it. You guys will worry about it. And I just have to, you know, worry about how my brand, uh, the brand story that I want to tell. I think these are, and it's, of course, it saves up so much of his time and his team's time. It's an early team, five people, and they definitely don't want to be tagging every product, analyzing data sheets, and then saying, these are my top products, and now tag them, right? It's, it's too much work. So, yeah, so these are two things that uh, come top of my mind. One, uh, I guess, philosophy that I've that I've maintained for for some time now is that I think the best way to transition from manual to automation is to always do something manually first before mm -hmm. automating it, uh, just to understand what is the, yeah. the exact process. If, mm -hmm. I, whatever, if I'm about to have something done a thousand times while I'm not looking, I think I want to know what it is. So what I'm wondering is if mm -hmm. there's instances where something has just been automated, you know, from, from the get-go and it went fine and there was no, and there wasn't really like a, a, a pressing concern to uh, see the steps uh, lay it out or have, have to uh, do the steps ourselves. Yeah, I think for when you look at, I mean, I'm, I'm more not going to just narrowly give the example of what we do, but I think sure. a lot of times uh, when you look at uh, e-commerce in general, uh, I think we underestimate uh, the power of what you know, reaching out to customers or updates that we share with customers, et cetera, like how making that, instantaneous and transparent and real time really changes the game in terms of conversions. And even as a, I would say, app builder and product maker myself, I've seen across the years, right? Like uh, it, you can't, you, you cannot be fast enough when it comes to responding mm -hmm. or giving some information to someone who's using a product on the other side. And it's exactly the same for e-commerce teams, right? And um, the people do worry about it a lot when it comes to, hey, they bought the product. Now I got to send out order confirmation and all of that. People tend to forget and teams, brands do tend to kind of sometimes forget that the store is also another i would say communication channel right and mm -hmm. if uh, you know if uh, you are on an instagram and you have an ad running and you know you're saying hey this is a great t-shirt right 
right? And uh, uh, I love it and I tap on it or, uh, you know, and I land onto your pay into the shopping funnel. And uh, all of a sudden, the size that I need is not there or the color that you showed me on the ad is not there. These are huge drop-off points, right? These are points when I would totally lose trust in the kind of communication that you're putting out with me, uh, to me on Instagram or whatever else channel. And I think people tend to forget that that, that, that ad is not the end, <laughs> you know, uh, outcome. It's actually what happens because people tap on the ad, they come to your store, the information's not there, they're still going to drop off. So I think those communication, these sort of communications, it, it doesn't matter whether you, um, you, know, you, you can't do it manually. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. If something's running out of stock, you can't go around and change your ad, right? You can't, like, you can't, manually keep track of which color is there or not and really keep changing the status back in your store. So I think it, it, it's it's more about when, because your store is online and you're 24 seven online and there is, you know, customers coming in from any channel and they're interacting with your products, there's something happening in your business. Your inventory is changing, your, you know, products are running in and out of stock or, you know, they're getting into bestsellers or not, right? So these are things that are happening. This data is just sitting there and, you know, you don't necessarily, and it's really hard to analyze all that data and do a lot of manual steps uh, sometimes. So these things, uh, it, it just works from day one, even if you automate it, you don't necessarily, as long as you understand that I have data, I have to wait a lot to analyze. And by the time I analyze and do something with that data, it's stale data. The data is old, right? So I think when it comes to communication based on data, based on what's happening in your data, you you can never be too fast. So automation is some, definitely something that will work from day one. You don't necessarily have to do it manually. You can't. Right. Yeah. And to summarize that, I certainly wouldn't uh, think somebody needs to you know do it hundreds, if not thousands of yeah. times to, to make it. It's yeah. just like, you know, a, a couple of times here, or there, just to yeah. just just to get it. But yeah, I I, I totally agree. If uh, you know, for people to reach the the levels that you know we we aspire and encourage people to reach, it's hmm. it's just not doable. Uh, yeah. I, but you you brought up a, a um, it's a particular scenario, but I think it's uh, it, it's worth honing in on because there's there's always going to be that gray area of information that we're not going to be able to to catch, right? It's not like every time somebody sees an ad for a product, comes to mm. the website, finds the product isn't there. Mm. It's not as if they're going to, maybe they'll say something. It's possible that mm. they will. But in our, you know, in 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 this, the age of TikTok, people are probably going to just go do something else. Like they're, they're already like unconsciously opening up another tab or, or, yep. or, or checking something else on their phone. They, they, they've forgotten what even the, you know, the issue is. Yeah, yeah. So what, uh, so what, what exactly does a person do to, um, to, to know as soon as possible that they need to take this, this ad down and is, and, and just so I'm understanding it uh, perfectly, um, is this uh, something that, uh, uh, that Mason is able to assist with? Yeah, that's something that's coming up. Uh, the platform already supports it. That's something that we are also, uh, you know, we are early stages of testing it out with a few beta teams and then, uh, you know, we'll be putting it out for more, uh, right now. As I said, the inventory automation, for example, that we were talking uh, talking about, that something gets out of stock, you know, market market as out of stock, or if uh, it's not trending, then put something else as trending and 
put it back in my store. So the publishing is directly available back in your store. Uh, but what's coming up is also publishing into your extended channel. So in, in your in your Insta shop or in your Facebook or um, um, in, into your Amazon catalog, etc. So these are things that are on the roadmap. Some of them we are early days of testing out with beta, beta teams. But yes, eventually the goal is that Entire shopping funnel, um, you know, you don't have to worry about updating a lot of these creatives and campaigns and, uh, you know, your communications uh, uh, all throughout consistently. You'll just have to hopefully turn on, uh, uh, set it up, you know, set up your design, set up your guidelines, set up this is how it should look like, and then kind of, you know, not worry about it. Initially, this was a question that I was going to ask, but, you know, as we've gone through the conversation, um, the needs to ask it has somewhat dissipated. And so now it's really more and more of a comment. So the the limiting factor before being able to uh, run a store on Shopify, you know, there's this trust and there's accessibility. Now Shopify has, I think, solved those problems by and large, or at least the trust part, yes, accessibility um, is an ongoing battle because mm-hmm. in order for somebody to be able to, you know, m- be participating in the market, they, it's not enough to just run a Shopify store. They're, as you say, you have to um, be connected to other channels for user-generated content, for yep. for, for social media, for, for, for even just for, for, for basic customer service, um, running ads and all of that. So how would you summarize the challenge of accessibility versus what problems somebody can solve you know, with Mason versus the kind of problems that they cannot solve um, if they're just using Shopify? Yeah, I think the primary thing would be just your, like, you know, when, when you think about your store, it's not just a store layout, but it's your store content, right? And mm-hmm. and it's a lot of information. And when it comes to e-commerce, that information has to be repackaged into a designed information, right? So I think that's the gap today. And, and of course, if you're using Canva separately, Canvas helping you solve like the accessibility for design problem, right? right? But that is not connected to your store, unfortunately. And uh, and so when it comes to you have your store on Shopify, you probably use the Shogun or something on Shopify to create your layout. And then what? Then every day, all these updates have to happen. And they have to happen in a certain design philosophy, in a certain design guideline, in a certain branding, right? And that's where the problem also starts shifting to a more composition. How do I compose all of these? And how do I do it on the fly? Like Canva can solve the composition problem for one, but hey, like, you know, I have even if I have 20 products, right? Now, if if I have to just update them as uh, bestsellers, you know, it's 20, 20 aesthetics that has to be taken care of. So I think that's the gap in the market today is that like it's it's your CMSs and your storefronts, right? They're kind of like not connected also with a design editor, right? Like that's the gap. And that's where uh, I think like a lot, we'll see start seeing a lot of interesting products coming out. There are already a, quite a few interesting things that I see happening, which are around, hey, how do you update your uh, uh, product uh, catalog images uh, to look better, etc. Right. So similar, and then you see in the complete in the ads world, you would have heard about this dynamic creative optimization products and stuff like that. So there are bits and pockets of uh, those things coming together, but I think they'll, it'll it'll just become more and more important um, because online it's all about uh, if you're running an e-commerce store, it's so much about visuals and standing out. I, I also wonder too, what's your what's your take on um, whether or not the the challenge for for sellers is having to be more reactive or proactive and what i mean by that is if i were to let's just say i just decide today to you know to, to set up an online store and 
and I'm suddenly I'm inundated with all of these different channels that I, if I'm not using, I'm, I'm harming my own self, self-interest, social media yeah. platforms, um, uh, content platforms like YouTube. Some people say YouTube is social media. I'm like, mm, okay, sure. Yeah, I can see it. I can see it. it's, <laughs> it's, it's broad enough that I, I I'll accept that. And, and what happens is that I think it puts sellers in this constant reactive state to always mm. have to meet the standards that are that are set by other other sellers and the expectations that the customers have. Have you seen, or maybe maybe I'm wrong. Feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. But have mm-hmm. you seen opportunity for sellers to start being more thought leaders and be more proactive and saying, you know what, this is an area, this is a platform. Other people haven't considered using it as a way to sell, but we are actually so ahead of the curve that now we're going to be able to. Uh, determine that the market will uh, respond to this. Um, so, so one example of that I will say very recently because I have been consumed by TikTok is that I don't think TikTok set out to be a marketing platform. It set out to just be a way for you know people to be spied on and also content too. But yeah. over time, it's turned into uh, somewhat of a, um, a of a renaissance for 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 sharing e-commerce information. You know, all people have to do is just like point to like a bunch of different you know, ideas. And so I think the, 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 the sellers and the, the people who have taken initiative have actually transformed that platform into something more useful for, for this space. So that's one example mm. that came to my mind, but um, how, how do you feel about the reactive proactive nature of the market? Yeah, I think that's a great question, right? Thank and you. I think there, there's always, um, you know, in every market, there's always the early adopters, we are we are way more proactive and then, you know, uh, the others sort of follow and then they become reactive, right? And um, I think with the pandemic, uh, what we've seen is that like everybody's reacted and uh, they know that this whole e-commerce is not just a buzzword, like that's just another, D2C is not, doesn't, for example, doesn't mean that I can't be on a marketplace. It just means my relationship with my customers have to be direct, right? I could be selling on Amazon or Facebook. That's that's irrelevant, right? I need to have a direct connection. So I think the the how with the whole 2020, 2021, I see like at least the industry reacting and understanding that, that, hey, some of these jargons are not jargons. They're just philosophies of how you should evolve as a brand and evolve as retail, right? Um, uh, omnichannel doesn't just mean... Um, you know, omni-channel, offline and online, but in online, there are multiple channels. So you've got to be there. It's digital omni-channel too. Um, then uh, the second is, uh, you know, that hey, it's not just about um, uh, now being uh, omni-channel, but also how do I really manage my relationship with each of my customers? And, and, and so I see like, the masses kind of adopting a lot more and reacting a lot more to understanding these specificities of e-commerce, uh, omni-channel and direct consumer, what it means, right? Like that the perspective has evolved. Um, where I think the gap still and the proactiveness is still is that, hey, now that I have to be on multiple channels, my storefronts like you know, spread out. Like maybe I'm also sending out uh, uh, as a a young team and sending out updates about my products on WhatsApp too. In Asia, a lot of teams do that. They send out literally product catalogs on WhatsApp, right? Um, uh, But if I have to do that, right? Uh, If I have to manage so many channels online, right? Uh, Headless is important. I have to think that. But 
that's where the proactiveness, like teams who have VC funding, who have who are larger teams, who probably have come from an e-commerce background, they're aware and they are headless from day one, or they're at least moving in that direction. Uh, but a mass of the teams are still, I think the access to technology and the understanding of technology is where the gap is. Like, yeah, headless, I don't know, like, do I really have to do that right now? I'll worry about it later. Um, and I think a lot of it is also our fault because it shouldn't be so hard to go headless, right? Like that's where I think like for me, no code is so important is that, hey, why does technology always start from a place of being so hard to implement? Like six month cycle, come on, like who has the time? That team will rather worry about what they can do today than what ROI they'll get six or eight months later. So I think that's why a lot of new things are very, you know, only adopted by proactively by teams who have access to money, to funding, to, uh, you know, tech. But I think it's also, it also lies on us as creators, as product creators, is that everything that is new, every new technology invention is always so difficult to implement. And it's not thought out from a layman's perspective. It's always thought out from somebody who will have to implement it. I'm somewhat of an outside observer when it comes to mm. to, to tech. Um, it, mm. it 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 amazes me sometimes that you know getting into podcasting as I did. Mm. It, it turns out I was ahead of the curve on that. I didn't see it coming, but I, I, I guess part of it is that there is a an inert or an innate intuition for people who are you know technology minded, and there are frontiers people you know ch- chasing those developments. And to me. Being an early adopter in a lot of other areas is usually more of a punishment than a reward. Like if somebody <laughs> is an early adopter of a, of, a, of a new product or you know of a, of a new um, device, I'm thinking very specifically of Apple in this case. Mm. The sooner they get it, the sooner they're unintentionally the guinea pigs and end up being the ones that are you know submitting error reports and saying, you know, I I waited in line, it was cold. Add Uber coffee <laughs> over, and then I know, I know they're being punished for it. So I do think, and you know, you're you're much more uh, experienced in this space. So I would love to hear your, your take on it. But I do think that being an early adopter in tech is is good if you have the inclination for it. Um, mm. But I, and and I guess the disconnect is then how are these discoveries then you know disseminated across a, a much larger user base so that it's yeah. accessible and understandable. You know, I've tried to explain um, cryptocurrency to my parents. And I explained to them that, you know, how a credit card transaction costs the credit card company money. Well, if a user just does a transaction, they use their resources, they get crypto out of it. And then my parents said, can you give us the simplified explanation of that? And I said, that was the simplified explanation. <laughs> so so trying to bridge that gap, I think, is the, is, is, is the biggest challenge because we want more people to adopt the technology so that it's more in use and you get more feedback that way. But anyways, uh, yeah, any, yeah. any take on that from your end? Yeah, I think I think technologies evolve as a reaction to some trend, um, okay. and I think that is where the the technology space technologists would do really well with having uh, you know uh, subject matter experts who can who can explain to other noobs <laughs> like uh, yeah. like themselves, I guess, what that underlying trend is and why that technology is meaningful for that trend. And I think that's the that's where the disconnect usually starts happening is that, of course, anything early, I mean, any new 
let's think about a brand, like a new set of, um, I don't know, health bars. I mean, early days, you are going to get feedback. You're going to iterate and you're going to work with your customers to make that health bar really yummy and <laughs> like, you know, the yeah. best uh, five flavors and all of that. It's exactly the same with tech products, right? It's the same. In the early days, there'll be issues. You'll work with your early customers. You'll fix it. Every product is, every new creation, I guess, is a, is an iterative process and it will continue to be. Um, the problem with technology is that um, uh, uh, everybody doesn't speak that language. Like it's such disparate language. Technology doesn't speak a business or a layman's language, right? Like so, mm -hmm. if it is if it is headless, what's the underlying trend? It's just that there's so many channels and people are buying on TikTok. I gotta be on TikTok. <laughs> like that's headless. That's it. That's what headless is all about. You gotta be on TikTok. You gotta be on Instagram. You gotta also have your own website or web store, right? So, sorry, yeah, to, I, I'm just going to, I very rarely uh, need to interrupt, but for me, I, I, I need to hear it like the, the Webster's def or the, you know, the e-commerce Webster's definition of headless. Cause I don't quite, yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I keep going to, you know, people with their heads chopped off, which I, I, I think that's kind of like, I'm I know. on the right track. I agree. I totally, I agree. And that even the names would help, right? <laughs> like it, yeah. who coined the term headless? It was clearly not someone who was a business guy or someone who's a brand owner, I'm sure it was someone who was a technologist who didn't even think of the connotation that headless would bring to them. In fact, recently, it, it's so funny. Someone was telling me about, hey, it's tailless. And I said, oh, no, let's not go there. Like, let's not go tailless and headless. Like, what is it in between, right? <laughs> what is that? What is that, you know, chunk of, you know, flesh in between oh my god it was so weird but anyway like <laughs> terrible terrible analogy apart um, I, I mean it's it's nothing but you have so many different stores or store presence it's like i have a pop-up store and i have a store in you know in in market street and i have a store in uh, uh you know in in the financial district right i have like all these three different stores and i also have a little bit of a i would say booth in let's say the best mall, right? Now that's that's literally, what, that's my brand in three different places. It's like, you know, I have to make sure that all the information across these three different places are similar. Um, you know, whatever is the inventory, you know, information that needs to be communicated over there. If someone places an order in store one, I need to know what's happening. Like, do I have enough in my warehouse to actually supply that and all of that, right? So that's literally what it what it is, that it's just that, if when you have multiple channels on which you kind of end up selling, how do you make sure that your entire information that you have is being translated into the right content and visuals and distributed across these different channels, right? It's just that instead of it being a monolithic, like I have to make for this, like for my store, I have to make a banner that is 1200 into 400 the next day i have to put the same information on on instagram who the hell will now make a one is to one right like that's the beauty of of um, all these systems that it'll help you do all of that without having to really from day one think multi-channel right that's literally what it is unfortunately it's called headless that's it <laughs> yeah i i don't i, I think um, maybe it's because i i honed in on your, your analogy of you know having uh having a store having a pop-up having a booth yeah. in, a, in a mall and yeah. i i feel like head full actually makes more sense because now you have other people who okay. are all hmm. you know involved and the system needs to be uh understandable for you know wh whomsoever is running the store whomsoever yeah. is running the booth whomsoever yeah. is running the pop-up um different Foot, different levels of foot traffic, different um, accessibility. 
Uh, I think people approach booths differently than they do stores. So yeah. that's just, yeah, that's, that's my uh, creative, creative mind thinking. I just, no, no we I, should call it, we should definitely call it heartful. Like, you know, you're heart, so yeah. happy that you have so many different, you know, booths and pop-up stores running. Yeah. We should change that. I'm yeah. Confused. It is a lot less violent, which in and of itself was not a detriment to me, but generally speaking, <laughs> I think people would appreciate that. Now that Shopify has upgraded to version 2.0, we needed to make sure we were up to speed. So we've released version 4.0 to ensure that we're 100% equipped to take advantage of the 2.0 revolution. If you haven't upgraded your store, head on over. And if you haven't gotten started, now's as good time as any. I want to make sure that we, we talk about the, the, the no-code movement um, because it is a, a, a great source of passion for you. And we've been kind of like working our way towards this. So I think I, I understand what it is based off the name. It's more accessible than headless. But um, so what, what's, your, what's, your, what's, your, what's your story with uh, the no-code movement and what's its importance in the, you know, in, in the world we're in? Yeah, I, I think like when, uh, you know, my one of my mentors once told me and I was complaining that, Hey, I, by the way, I don't know how to code. I've never coded. Uh, I work in the tech industry, but I'm not a, I'm not a techie techie. Uh, so I'm more the people side of, of the tech industry, I would say. And um, uh, which is much needed. Trust me. Like, so we would not have names like headless if I was coining it for sure. I would call it heartful. <laughs> But uh, um, uh, so in the early days, I had a mentor who um, I'm still in touch with him. He told me once that what, uh, you know, is needed uh, is more and more people like you who can, you know, think from the perspective of someone who needs that, not from the perspective of someone who is building that. Right? And when, when you think of someone who needs it, it's very different from the, from the person who's building it because the guy who's building it will think like technical aspects and functions and specs and specifications and all of features and all of that. Whereas the guy who needs it will say, this is my pain. This is why I'm stuck. This is why it's hard, right? And, uh, and, and when we use anything, any product, right? We always have an emotional connotation to it. It makes us like, we love products that make us, feel comfortable and happy and make us feel like we achieved something, right? So emotions are not away from what we do, right? Any product that we use are not, we can't disconnect emotions away from it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think like the whole, at some level, the whole no-code philosophy is a lot about that. It's bringing the ability to create the solutions closer to the person who's feeling the pain rather than keeping it with the builders, right? So even if I'm feeling pain or you are feeling a pain using technologies which are no code, we can solve that problem. We don't have to depend on like communicating that pain, translating it into specifications. <laughs> Here's a product requirements doc and take it, right? We don't have to do that. So I think that's what no code is all about. And, and so it's very, very close to me. And I, I feel like really passionate about it. Like nobody has to push me for it. It is like, yeah, this is so important. It's certainly, you know, the 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 passion for it. I can see that that influence um, resonating through uh, through th- through Mason, and and we and one of the things we wanted to make sure that we we mentioned too is just how you know how how pivotal this is for 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 growth, especially in 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 the D two C in the D two sorry, tongue tied there D two C space. It is, it is, and because it it just you can't when you are reacting to changes that are that you need to to make your business work and to make your business grow, you can't be dependent on 
you know, subject matter experts who can help you with 50 things. You need to be able to run your experiments and run your changes on your own to be able to see the impact. And I'm not saying that it's like take away code. That's not that's not what I mean. And there is always space for everything. But on a day to day, when I'm running my business, I need to take decisions. And if I have to wait on a 48 hour cycle to actually get that decision implemented, maybe my business decision is already about to change, right? So it just brings so much agility to me um, as a business owner uh, to actually run experiments, to grow my business. And it's so, so pivotal to growth. So uh, here's a here's a story. I don't get to tell it very often, but I, I'm 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 curious to a get your take on it and if there was a, a parallel in in your own um, experience. So um, I, I spend a good deal of time um, doing audio editing uh, for for podcasts, uh, largely, uh, actually no, exclusively. And and in doing so, you know, I was a part of a lot of um, uh, podcast editors um, communities on, especially mostly on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And you, we would we would have discussions where we would see. Um, the potential for, um, you know, editing automation software where it would automatically cut out, say, ums or 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 flubs yeah. or stuff like that. You know, there's there are certainly automations in the in the editing space that, if not for, I wouldn't be able to do my job. Like if I had to manually, you know, silence out, you know, background noise, which by the way I did have to do for certain cases. The idea of making that sustainable was just yeah, it didn't exist. There was there was no way I could do it. So there was a degree of you know automation that made it accessible and made it easy, and it helped me focus on what it is I wanted to do well, which was pay attention to the flow of the conversation and only edit what was need to. Like for instance, if somebody says you know if everybody has vocal ticks, some people everybody says ah, uh, but then there's like there's the you knowers and there's all sorts of uh, flubs. It's so like one thing that I do is yeah. say, look, I'm not going to edit out every last one of them because I'm not going to turn the guest into a robot. But there's a pattern. So for every two I cut, one stays. And in doing so, I kept the the, the flow natural, but also more more efficient for for time. Um, mm. And frankly, I just enjoyed it. You know, with the with the, with your passion for this, I just. There, the gamer in me enjoyed just you know catching these things, removing them, and 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 in it with the more um, uh, efficient episode that was yeah. you know, for for better listening. And so I did have this fear that uh, that automating the work could go too far, and mm. it, we would actually lose some of our ability to ha- be more um, mindful, be more particular. Mm be more, you know, artistic or creative towards it. So where, you know, where I stand now is yes, of course, there are things that are worth automating, but I still have one client that I do more for the, just to keep myself sharp rather than, you know, relying on it to pay my bills. Uh, But I I listen to the episode and I, and I catch things little by little and I, and I enjoy it. And I do feel that it's, it was worth it for the, 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 the creative perspective. So I'll summarize all this so I can make this into a digestible question for you. On the one hand, um, there is that fear of almost being rendered obsolete if you know the software can be so good at I don't actually mm. have anything to do. But on the other hand, it was about a genuine concern for making the content as you know listenable as it can be. So yes. I, I throw that to your side. Um, can you identify a parallel in, in your own case where you know it, it felt like maybe you were losing a little bit too much of your own autonomy? Yeah, no, I totally, uh, you know, hear you, right? And that is something I think um, uh, for me uh, and for my co-founder was always very important is that, hey, we we totally, because I guess my co-founder is a technologist, he's a true blood technologist, he's not a, he's not a fake like me. Uh, so he he's the guy who's been... Uh, you're in the I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a no-code evangelist. But uh, anyway, so... Um, I, it, 
it's not really possible for um, one for automation to be a be at a place, any kind of automation, I would say, to be at a place where it's like humans are not needed. And, and someone has to create that playbook and that framework in the first place, right? So you do definitely need those, you know, you, you still need that nuance, uh, right? For example, in a simple example of a badge, right? Like you can say that the system can automatically create badges. It can too. I mean, if we can create the system, but it, it just, it you know, you still would need like, even if this is, there is a system in this world that can create like 50,000 different batch designs, you'd still have that, you know, Joseph versus cost actually logging in and saying that these are the things that I like. These are the quirks that I don't like. Right. So the second layer over here is that you also need that system to almost understand what is your aesthetics and what is your, you know, special uh, nuance that makes what you create you. Right. So uh, I can I can say that, hey, like, you know, um, uh, uh, the more I do a certain kind of edit, then if something starts understanding that that's usually how they prefer it. Right. So it's more about training a system rather than mm-hmm. saying that the system's automating from day one, right? like uh, automating everything perfectly from day one. So so the second layer to what I'm saying is that one is that it's not possible for um, every every little thing to be automated to the, uh, you know, um, personal aesthetic of someone, right? Uh, and hence, it's important to have levers where you can train someone. If you don't want to do it manually, is that you can train something that, hey, this is how I prefer it rather than a very great example is Spotify. And this is the kind of music that I prefer and it learns over time. There's a bunch of automations there, but it's learning over time. So it's not, it's not forcing you to love something. It, it keeps, so are you, are you giving the ability to tweak the algorithm, right? Based on what you are doing and whatnot. And I think the third layer over there is transparency. What is it that I'm tweaking? Like, I think that's the fear for me with social media. Like, I don't know what I'm tweaking. I don't see the algorithm. So I do something and something happened, boom, I have no idea. But I think in business tools, that's so important is the transparency. You did these and so this happened. You don't want it. You want it. Like, you know, the transparency, almost like a of records of what you have done, what has it impacted? Do you want to change it, not change it? Like, what are the levers that are available for you to automate, not automate? What is this? What is the, let's say if there's an AI behind it, what's it really learning and listening into as signals, right? So I think transparency is the third very important, uh, you know, layer to always add. And uh, um, in social media, unfortunately, that's not the lever that we get. But when you're thinking of making tools that augment people and, you know, to help them become better at their business, at their goals, at their at their work, um, you have to keep these three things in mind because you're not trying to sell their attention, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. I have to say that's uh, uh that's an excellent answer. I mean, there's the the, the three layered uh, answer to that. I I mean, I've, obviously, I don't ask a question expecting to know what the answer is. That's the point of the question. But I was uh, I was actually quite impressed with that one. Here's a uh, here's our our final plan. Obviously, I got the closing question. Uh, I got one more fun one for you, and then I have one more question I'm about to ask, which is, um, what do you anticipate to be the you know the future of both you know coding in general and also the the no coding? And you know, what do you see as you know the work that programmers are going to be facing in the, in the next uh, generations to come? 
I think programmers want to do more, like with any other, uh, you know, a designer, for example, wants to do great design. They don't want to like edit a design to just change the copy every day. Like that's literally what a bunch of designers unfortunately have to do when they're doing mm-hmm. creatives, for example. Uh, so it's the same for, uh, you know, developers or makers. They want to make new things. They don't necessarily want to be operating something that they have made and editing it endlessly day to day. I see it like, you know, if someone's helped me make like a landing page or something, and then I need to change the copy, I would rather do it myself that that poor developer will hate me if I uh, ping him a hundred times to just like change the copy, tweak it and all of that, right? So I think things like no code, low code helps a lot of the great work uh, uh, to to be focused on and leaving the operating um, which are more important for me, uh, for the business guy or for the user, right? Rather than the builder, right? Um, so it enables the user and uh, to do the things that they need to do without having to pull in the builder. And I think the second thing is that it just makes products so much more, I think it just helps create more beautiful products. I think mm-hmm. because if you're closer to the problem and you understand the emotion, you can create something that will fulfill that emotional need (laughs) I would say in a way Um, and uh, it'll help you um, with your work it'll help you be more productive it'll help you grow your business but it'll also fulfill some sort of that emotional reaction that you have to that pain right and it's going to create more and more beautiful products um, I would say rather than just products which have been built by someone else and a very different kind of user has to like sort of just use it Mm -hmm. you know I I have to say that um, one of the things that has continuously amazed me um, that I wasn't expecting, you know, I'm, I'm entering e-commerce was I was expecting a lot more calculations and uh, I was expecting it to be a little bit more cold and really, mm. and, and there's, there's, there's an element of, uh, of that, you know, there, there does have to be, you know, sometimes hard decisions have to be made and, and hard, hard data has to be analyzed with a, you know, with an objective lens. But in spite of all of that, that misconception was broken down almost on day one is, you know, this is focusing on, on emotion and it is focusing on helping people solve problems so that they can put their energy towards solving problems that are more rewarding. So you're, you know, describing, um, the, the, the designers just making these simple changes to the copy, not, not particularly rewarding. So yeah. you can almost see like, this is the kind of work that's probably going to end up being automated because it's, it's just so I'm, I'm, if, if someone is doing it, uh, you know, uh, unconsciously, then that is the kind of thing that ends up getting turned over to automation. So I think uh, there, there has to be a, a you know, a, a, an excitement towards it. Um, and, and I think, and this was the apprehension that I had faced was, you know, if coming back to my editing for a second, if, you know, the job is, you know, automated out, I'm going to have like what, two hours a week to, to do work. And, and, and I, ha- and I can say uh, with certainty, every time that I face that now, it has now been about the excitement for what is this going to do to free up my time and allow me to focus on more important things, coming back to the motion, coming back to creativity, coming back mm-hmm. to artistic, coming back to the point of being a human being in the first place. Yeah, this is so true. So true. I totally feel you. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So a uh, f- uh, fun question for you. So one of the things that you had, you, you'd mentioned at the beginning was, uh, you know, was, was it, was it the, the, the importance of experiences and and I, this has always been a, a sticking point for me because the kind of experiences that I tend to appreciate more are the ones that are a little good every time I access them rather than something trying to blow me away for the first time and then losing its luster. So mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I don't know your, your, your experience in, in the gaming space, but uh, I would recommend people look at Steam Big Picture 
Um, mm. It's a interface that Steam, uh, that Valve has had and the, the ambience, the color choices, the sound effects, everything that they use. Did it blow me away the first time I saw it? No, but there is a degree of appreciation that I have for it every time that I, that I, that I access it. So the question to you is, uh, what are some of the experiences that have stuck out to you? And like, what do you find is more important? Is the consistency or the wow factor? Yeah, yeah. I think consistency over, when I was younger, I used to think it's the wow factor. And actually it gets old very fast mm-hmm. because it's so, uh, it's one time, right? Like it's, like, and everything that I love and I have stuck to, including softwares or apps or products that I use are always the consistency and not the wow factor. Like, remember, I don't know if there was this, um, I forgot the name of that app, but it did this whole, like, you know, you can click a picture, you upload it, and it sort of changes it into some sort of artwork. Like, I totally forgot the name of that. It was trending like hell a few years back. And yeah, I, just, I've seen it. I mean, I don't yeah. think I've seen it, but I've seen. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Prisma or something like that. Okay. All it did was like, you know, a picture of us and then you can say Van Gogh and you can say, him, oh, you know, um, uh, whatever. I'm totally blanking out on names right now, but you can just select your uh, Picasso or Van Gogh or whatever else masterpiece and it just, you know, changes it to look like that. It just died because it was a wow factor. It was one and you won't ever continue for the rest of your life to keep uploading pictures to make it look like a Van Gogh painting, right? Like that's, yeah, whatever. So that wow was so like, wow. And then you just got bored with it. And then when you look at on the opposite end, you look at something like, um, um, I love Notion and I love um, also Zoom. I think uh, they have done a pretty well job but look at notion it's always the little things it's just that when you did this and then that popped up and you're like oh that's nice and it Mm -hmm. stuck with you and they're consistently delivering that experience like oh i can share it to the web oh i can just do an uh, you know a right arrow and it becomes a toggle oh those little things that you discover and you get animored and you it just makes anything that you do simple makes it look uh, good all documents that you do look good and you're good right so anything I, I i think it's always been like that the things that are wow they can't sustain because they have to like always meet that wow level consistently there's those little little nuggets they add up to a far bigger wow uh, longer term Totally with you. Okay. That's everything that I, that I got for you today. I have to say um, this uh, <laughs> this went according to plan. I wanted to you know, start off, make sure you know we talk about the program, what it does, what it offers, and the importance of it. And then you know, ten thousand foot view, thirty thousand foot view, fifty thousand foot view, six you know, six hundred thousand foot view. Um, so I I, I just want to say thank you for for your time and for your expertise. And um, my uh, my final question is two parts. A, if there's any like you know, like a Chinese proverb or last bits of wisdom that you like sharing, feel free. No, no mm-hmm. obligation, feel free. Uh, and then let the audience know how they can make contact. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, there's so much wisdom out there, uh, wisdom of the crowd, right? Like, uh, uh, and, and it's TikTok or Google or whatever, it's making it so much easier. Um, but I think 
one thing that's um, you know stayed with me is that um, it's all about uh, you know infusing emotions and stories into whatever you do, and stories are a way of infusing emotions, I would say. And I think if you are you know an e-commerce team or a, or a merchant or a D2C brand, you are already great at that. Right? You you are you have a brand, you have a story around your products, and um, uh, why let it die by just having like a very boring Craigslist or something that's mm-hmm. just not you know great enough that doesn't bring out bring you out as well like your social profile is probably doing amazing but then people land in your store and it's you know blah or bland and i think it's so important to kind of keep continuing your story don't let your stores be where your story is die i love saying that mm. so i think that that would be something that i would love to kind of remind them and it's it, it it's a lot of hard work to do that and uh, don't be afraid to sort of use different technologies that are out there give it a shot it might just help you tell your story better and continuously say it. Yeah. And, and, and I think if, you know, if, um, and I don't want to point fingers, but if anybody tends to look at story as just an aesthetic, and I mean that in the meanest way possible, uh, but it, it doesn't have residence. It doesn't have depth. It doesn't have anything mm. more, more important story and, and narrative is mm. put simply how we characterize a passage of time. And if we don't value time, then there's really nothing left to value. So uh, is story however um however embedded you might think it is mm. it's even further for further deep than that so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm with you on that the importance of story what was it um your your story is your story <laughs> your story is a story and you shouldn't let your stores be where your stories die excellent uh well um once again uh one more one more thank you for the roadhouse so it, was, it was great to have you here it was great to be here and i'm so and if you if anybody wants to reach out to me you can always dm me or tweet at me k manjita k m a n j i t a and joseph will link it out and and i'm always on linkedin so yeah I'm excited to be here thank you so much and i uh, hope we get a chance to chat again Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Doors, uh, door, doors well open. Oh, oh, and I should say thank you to uh, uh, Jimmy John who uh, who connected us. Uh, yes. I would, I, I would hate to have uh, turned out this recording. I forgot to do that. So um, <laughs> to her, I say th- thank you so much for, for, for this connection and uh, feel free to send a few more my way. All right. So with that to my audience, as always, it is an honor and a privilege to collect this information. Am I using it for my own benefit? You bet. And share it with all of you as well. So with that, take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you. So whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.